Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Greg, how are you doing? I am doing great. I am really looking forward to this. This is, uh, we've been trying to get together with this mystery guest, look at the name, for a while now, and and I'm a big fan of the company, so I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a special interview as we're talking with a business leader from the largest rural lifestyle retailer in the United States. And we're going to be diving into the incredible supply chain behind it. So stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. Greg, quick programming note. If folks enjoy this conversation, where would you suggest they go and learn more? Your house, Scott. <laughs> Wherever they get their podcast from or YouTube. That's right. And be sure to subscribe for free so you don't miss conversations just like this one. So let's introduce our featured guest here today. He graduated from West Point, served as a captain in the U.S. Army, went on to serve in a variety of roles at uh, places like Target and Neiman Marcus. He now leads the end-to-end supply chain at Tractor Supply Company. Please join me in welcoming the Executive Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer at Tractor Supply, Mr. Colin Yankee. Colin, how you doing? Good, Scott. Good to be with you. We well, uh, likewise, and yeah. this has been really neat, uh, Greg. As we were talking pre-show, we had this teed up, ready to go, right? Uh, about a year or so ago, and then of course we all knew in the last March here in the states, at least, kind of what put us on our heels, and, and we're still working through it. But you know, as we're going to talk about today, it's been really interesting to see what retailers that get it and the supply chains behind them that can that can come up with the strategies to meet the ever-evolving consumer preferences and build that rapport with their consumers. And then of course, execute on everything behind that so yeah. that they can serve consumers where they want to be served today. Right, Greg? Yeah. You know, I think track supply is a fantastic example of that. They continue to grow. I mean, I live Northwest of Atlanta and I don't remember how far the nearest tractor supply used to be, but then there was one about 13 miles away. And now there's one about five miles away. And I mean, it, it's great. I love the name too, Colin. The what is it we called that? Largest rural lifestyle retailer. Back in the day, when I was just a simple country boy from Kansas, we <laughs> called them farm and fleet stores. But it is so much more than that, right? I mean, it, it is really a robust retail environment and a great fun place. <laughs> Trot around. It's fun. It's like it's like Disneyland for plowboys. Well, and it, I tell you, it's grown left and right, as you, as you, as you mentioned, Greg, a resistance is futile for sure. But Colin, Indeed. before we start talking and dive deeper into Tractor Supply Company, let's get to know you a little better. So you surprised us in the pre-show conversation uh, with some of those stories, but tell us where are you from and, and give us a couple of anecdotes from your upbringing. Yeah, I'm, I, I surprised you guys by telling you I'm from Los Angeles area. I say Los Angeles, but I'm actually from Riverside, California, which is for those uninitiated. It's called the Inland Empire. I and mean, when I was growing up out there, it was all agriculture and orange groves. And now if you visit there, it's all distribution centers. So maybe it was destined to be that I was in supply chain, but uh, it was just DC after DC when you go out there. And actually one DC I worked in, DC that I started up, 
was built on land that as a kid, I used to go out and ride my dirt bike and shoot my, you know, my rifle on and then just, you know, became a DC. So uh, wow. you know, I, I knew that pretty well. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've been all over the country, um, you know, with the military and working in retail, you know, like Greg, you said, you're, you're kind of retail brat. I was moving all around from, you know, corporate America. I would go wherever they'd, they'd send me to go, but, uh, you know, grew up in California and appreciate the diversity of, you know, the people who were there. And, you know, always felt like you're on kind of the front end of something new, right. You know, on the front end of a trend and, you know, just the, the diversity of the music and the people and the food and, you know, my last name's Yankee, which is kind of weird in and of itself, but, you know, you grew up in Southern California and that's not the weirdest thing you're going to see. So you just, you get to, you know, be able to connect with all kinds of different folks. I love that. And, and yeah. you paint such a wonderful picture there. And I got to ask you, especially with when this publishes pitchers and catches catchers will have reported to major league baseball. Are you a sports fanatic in any sport and who's your team? I am not a sports fanatic. So if you guys start talking NFL or MLB, I'll just like, I'll nod and I'll agree with you. But my wife's family, they are huge New York Yankees fans. In fact, when I met her, I walked up her, her driveway and had an American flag on one pole and a Yankees flag on the other pole. And when I showed my future father-in-law my driver's license, he was I was I was in. You know, so there you go. Close the deal. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you one more question before we, we switch gears here. So growing up on the West coast, growing up in that Riverside community, you, you shared, you know, some of your hobbies as a kid, let's talk about food for a second. What, you know, and, and now you live in Tennessee, so you're quite a ways away from where you grew up. What's one dish or food or restaurant even that you grew up just, you know, eating in every week and that you, you miss that today. So my, my dad was a policeman. And so he knew all the good like dive taco stands that were out there. And there was this one in, 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 a, in Rubidoux, California, and it was a little bit rougher of a neighborhood, but uh, you know, the best Mexican food, best burritos and tacos and lemonade you ever have, ever have in your life. So I'm always on the hunt for authentic Mexican food um, wherever I'm out in the country. I can, can never go wrong. Love that. And Greg, we've got a couple of favorites here down in Atlanta. We'll have to, when we get back to breaking bread together, we'll have to do that with Colin. No but, we're, uh, but Greg, moving right along, we want to talk about his, some of his, his previous journey here, right? Yeah. Well, so you've mentioned, I think you mentioned, at least you mentioned pre-show that you're a West Point grad. So tell us a little bit about whatever you can tell us about that and, and a little <laughs> bit about it. Your time, you know, you served in the military, you were a captain in the army. First, why? What what inspired you to go there? That's a long way. Annapolis is a long haul from Riverside. So tell us a little bit about yeah, and, it. And, and I would never go to Annapolis because, you know, it's a second-tier school. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> Did I say Annapolis? West Point. Kidding. West Point yeah. also a long ways away. Yeah, it is. Uh, we, were still, no, we were talking about Kevin Jackson, so. <laughs> yeah. No, no offense to my Navy brethren there. Um, but uh, no, I, I am. My, so my dad had been in the, in the army. And so there's a little bit of that family connection there. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to serve and whether it was enlisting or doing ROTC or going to go into an academy and you know, all my heroes were, were military officers. I was kind of a history nerd and would, would read history books and loved adventure and exploration. I had this kind of romanticized vision of the army and, uh, you know, there's a practical side of it too, right? You know, there's unlocking opportunity and getting to, 
get leadership experience and education. And so I felt right. really fortunate to, to be able to go to, to the military academy. And like I was telling Scott earlier, I'd never been east of Las Vegas in my life until I showed up at West Point. You know, I, I went from being a top student at a mediocre school to being a mediocre student at a, at a top school. And I think that the thing for me about, about West Point is everybody gets humbled at some point. You know, you put, take these young people from all across the, the country, in some cases across the world, and you put them in this really intense environment for academics and physical training and military training and moral and ethical development. And you're going to find something you're, you're not good at really, really quick. And for me, it was like, I need to learn how to prioritize, manage time, compartmentalize information, study, all those things. But then there's other people who have never boxed before or comfortable, you know, maybe they grew up in the city, we're uncomfortable being out in the woods. And so everybody gets humbled at some point. And that intensity of the experience really builds lifelong bonds and trust because you have to depend on each other. So there's a saying there's it's cooperate and graduate, right? You have to, you have to work together. And um, then you go out in the army and it's a team sport, right? And so you end up doing the same right. thing and you know, it really builds those kind of connections. And so very, very fortunate that I had that opportunity and, and grateful for, for the army and the taxpayer for paying for it. How long did you serve after West Point got at that time? Yeah. No. So uh, I served for five years. Okay. And in you know, my military career, I was a cavalry officer. So was in Kentucky, down in Georgia um, for some different training in schools. Then uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. Then uh, September 11th happened. Uh, they were looking for volunteers to go to Afghanistan, and um, and uh, you know I was kind of Cold War Army at the time, so I thought this may be my only chance to do what I have been training to do. Right. So went to Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, and came back, and that was you know the end of my time in the army. First of all, thank you for serving. Thank you for doing that. That was brave and bold, and you know, in my opinion, necessary in the moment. And I know so many people in the military, they felt compelled to contribute at that time. In fact, I have a buddy from college who I would have never guessed would have been compelled to contribute, but he, he joined the reserves and wound up in Afghanistan on purpose. So yeah, I really, I, I, I don't, I don't know that you can understate the commitment to your fellow man of of putting yourself, intentionally putting yourself in harm's way that way. So anyway, I, I, I really appreciate it and thank you for it. Yeah, and I think you have, you have a good read on it because, you know, I, people I think have this image of the military being very directive and, you know, they, whatever their image is, but that wasn't my experience. Every, every soldier I ever served with was a volunteer. They volunteered to be there. They volunteered to do the job and uh, were really self-motivated. And so I think people who, who, volunteer to go do that, they already have some kind of intrinsic drive, which, uh, you know, as a leader makes it nice to, to be able to lead teams like that. Well, so when you left the military, I mean, you went on to some other, I would argue, elite organizations, Target and Neiman, Neiman Marcus. Target with its own, I think, rich supply chain traditions and, you know, obviously continue to make a powerful investment. So tell us a little bit about your work history after the military, but before Tractor Supply. So I think like a lot of people, I didn't intend to get into supply chain, at least, you know, of my generation, um, you know, now they're, you know, you know, great, great programs about it. And so right. it's a, it's a you know, hot, hot industry to be in. But I met a fellow West Point graduate who was a, a general manager of a, of a distribution center out in California. And um, he gave me the opportunity to come tour his facility. And I could just see a high functioning team right away. I mean, I could smell a winner. Um, the way people 
talk to each other, how fast they're moving. I was amazed by the automation and, and the process. And, you know, it just appealed to me because of team oriented, tangible results. And I was, I felt very fortunate to end up in that environment, in that culture, making that transition from the military, because I think it made, made it so easy. So I started out um, in a distribution center as a night shift supervisor, <laughs> leading team. And it, that was, that was great. I think everybody who gets in supply chain should go be out in the front line at some point, Agreed. manufacturing plant or, or distribution center or, you know, a dispatch office if you're in trucking. And then I got promoted, got to open up a, a campus there in California, had 3 million square feet on the same site, and then did a special project down at the Port of LA Long Beach, where it really opened my eyes to, uh, you know, this is a career path. And that was kind of, you know, Scott asked me about some eureka moments. That was really right. a eureka moment for me, you know, because that's when I, I dedicated myself to making this a profession. So I chose to go back to grad school. So I started searching around for programs to do that. And then I got the opportunity to, to move back to Minneapolis to be at Target's headquarters. And I ran uh, domestic transportation. And this would happen to be during the 2008-2009 kind of Ooh. economic recession. Right. And in retail, on, on a profit and loss statement in retail, store payroll and transportation are you know, two of the biggest line items. And so I learned a lot in, in that experience because the way Target approached it wasn't trying to squeeze one individual line. And they looked at holistically. They said, how do you work together to optimize the whole versus you know, optimizing parts and sub-optimizing the whole. And that was really influential for me on how to think end-to-end in the supply chain. And then for the rest of my career at Target, I went out to the field again, did some assignments, came back, uh, did some supply chain strategy work. And then uh, after about 10 years, a boss of mine um, who I really respect, he's a chief supply chain officer today at a, at a different retailer, had gone to Neiman Marcus and he called me and said, hey, got an opportunity down here. What do you think? And you know, I love, love this leader. He's a great dear friend and, and mentor. Um, so I went down there and it's totally different, right? It's uh, went from selling Tide and toothbrushes to, right. you know, luxury, you know, items, women's couture and, and yeah. you know, shoes and things like that. And so, you know, I ended up in, in, in this role because uh, Tractor had gone through such phenomenal growth. The supply chain was under a lot of stress and they were looking how do you just kind of take to the next level and, you know, really been a dream job for me. That's fascinating. You know, I think there's a couple things, Scott, that I take away immediately. One is, I don't think you can, I don't think you can overstate the value of following a mentor somewhere, or the value that that mentor places on you if they go somewhere and they ask you to go with them. I think that speaks well to both of you, to your to your working relationship, to that mentor's esteem of you and you of they, and and also it is. You know, it's something I think people need to keep their eye on. You know, if I think about guidance for people in industry today, in any job, it's hitch your wagon to a rising star, right? Yeah. And and establish that value because the truth is, I think we lose we lose sight of this to some extent. You don't get the job, and I'm not saying you didn't earn it, Colin, but you sure. don't necessarily get a job because you deserve it. You get a job because somebody recognizes value in you and that they can get value from that. And who knows that better than people that know you? Yeah. Right. Well yeah. said. And, 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 I, and I think your know, supply chain is such a small world and in industry, yeah. right? your, your, your brand and your reputation matters. Right. And so, you know, and, and, and it stays with you over time. And so, uh, you know, building that and staying connected to the industry, I think is really, really important for yeah. you know, your development. 
So let, let, let's stay right there for a second. What I also observed from your kind of walking us through your career is just how well-rounded all these different roles and the functions right. that, that collectively provided you a wonderful background for really doing what you're doing now, where you're leading end-to-end supply chain for a company on, on the move like Tractor Supply is. So if you would, for a moment, before we talk about Tractor Supply, Colin, speak to our listenership that might still be in school, that may be early in their career. What's one thing that it, for folks that really want to break into supply chain and succeed and, and, and hey, do what you do? You know, be that chief supply chain officer, which is a, is a cool thing to see more and more of those these days. What's one thing, piece of advice you'd give those folks? I would say be a continuous learner. And, you know, supply chain is so big. I mean, I know retail and I know enough about kind of the end-to-end and retail to be dangerous and all of them. But I have experts on my team who know way more than I do about their functional area. But I don't know anything about the healthcare supply chain or pharmaceuticals or you know, industrial manufacturing or writing algorithms within the software for decision making and for decision sciences. But if you're curious and you love it and you have a passion for it, you know, there's just so much to learn. It's never going to stop, right? Yeah, you know, I could be doing this until I'm retired and and, uh, and you know continue to learn about it. It's just never ending. It's a big yeah. universe, so just always mm-hmm. be curious. And we're going to have supply chain. We're already seeing supply chains go into orbit right? Staffing up the International Space Station and beyond. So it'd be amazing to see where the heights and the extent of the supply chain profession in the decades to come. So, all right, well, let's, let's come back down to earth a little bit here. And let's talk about mm, tractor, <laughs> tractor supply company here. So we were talking pre-show, it really, and look, I don't have a tractor supply tattoo or anything, but it's really, you know, NRF, Folks are talking about what you are doing at Tractor Supply Company. We've talked about it in, in, in live streams and other things because, again, it's, you've got companies that are really able to execute in this environment, and you got folks that are really struggling, and, and you all seem to be in that, that latter category or the, the former category. So first off, for the three people that may be listening to this show right now what uh, that may not be familiar with Tractor Supply Company, what does the company do in a nutshell? Sure. We are a, a national retailer in the United States. We serve rural, country, suburban, country customers who live a kind of do-it-yourself out here lifestyle. You know, not necessarily large farmers, but uh, you know, people who may own one acre to 50 acres. And uh, we sell them everything that they need to live that lifestyle for their, uh, you know, to work out on the land, um, whether it's workwear and footwear or for animal food and feed or pharmaceuticals and supplies for, for their domestic pets. And also maybe they have a couple of goats and you know, chickens in their backyard or something like that. Truck tool and hardware parts. So a lot of small business owners and you know, people who do maintenance on their equipment. So that can be everything from you know, a diesel transfer tank or a nuts and bolts and a wrench or a make model specific part uh, for a piece of equipment. And then we have you know, seasonal items um, we're very weather driven. So, you know, lawn and garden type things or heating. I mean, if you live up in the north and you, you're heating your house with wood pellets or some other kind of fuel. Mm-hmm. So we sell all those things so you can live that lifestyle out there. And we've got 1,933 stores as of today. Wow. And uh, if you're if you're interested, uh, you know, TSCO on, on NASDAQ or you, know, you can check it out. Check us out online. And just shop 2,000 stores if I heard that right. That is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it is. I mean, I knew there were a lot, but I had no idea. Well, let's, and we're going to get to it here in a second, but I'm going to go ahead and, and mention it because when you hear that number and you hear how quickly y'all rolled out same day delivery, Colin, 
in the last, I think it was within 2020, I believe. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, right. And just how fast you did it to those 2000 stores. It really is remarkable. But before we talk about some of that, some of those wins and accomplishments, let's talk about your role. And again, we'd love to see the the proliferation of chief supply chain officer. Yeah. You know, we've seen Greg, what was a big, there was a huge retailer just welcomed their first supply. Well, it's a reframe. Home Depot, right? It's either Home Depot or it, it was, um, it was one that's based at a mall. But regardless, it's a reframe. You hear almost, almost every week, you yeah. hear a new chief supply chain officer being added to an executive team. It's a wonderful thing for, for both those organizations and the profession. But what, where do you spend your time? What, what's a, what's your average, if there is such a thing, week in Colin Yankee's life look like? Yeah. Um, so I'm responsible in supply chain can mean different things in different places. So I'm responsible for uh, our merchandise planning team, which does all of our sales and, and margin forecasting. And, and the assortment optimization data analytics around what goes in, in the stores. Um, they kind of manage our checkbook of, of the inventory we can spend. Our inventory management team, our vendor operations team that does all the forecasting with our vendors and, and works with our vendor community. Our transportation team, both import and domestic, and then our, our uh, distribution centers. And we have you know a network of eight DCs across country. At, we're popping up a couple more here in the next couple of years some import centers, and then these high velocity cross stocks across the country. And so I spend a great deal of my time really focused on synchronizing the actions and priorities across those different teams. And you, know, you kind of talk about the elevation of supply chain and that chief supply chain officer role. You know, I look at in retail, you plan, you buy, you move, you sell, right? And that's kind of the, 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 the traditional path. And the connection to the, the merchandising team, which are really the general managers of their business areas, the stores team, which, you know, I serve the stores who serve the customers right. and I serve the customer direct, you know, direct that way. It's coordinating all those things. And my whole job is to make decisions about trade-offs between time, inventory, cost, and service, right? Across that, that, that chain. And then, um, you're really uh, thinking about the about the future. So we're in a fortunate position to be investing in the supply chain um, very heavily. But how do we you know bring those things to fruition and, and see the return on on those investments? Mm. So speaking of investments, and speaking of we, we touched on the same day store delivery. And gosh, you pick your acronym these days: Bopus, Boris, you name it. I mean, these shifting consumer preferences and acronyms that go with them. It really is a, it is such a, you're a big history. I almost said nerd, yeah. I'm not gonna call you a nerd. I'll call myself, I'm a big oh. history nerd buff. There you go. You Thank you. <laughs> it really is such a, a fascinating time to study retail because of this, the, these, these shifting consumer preferences and, and seeing how the uh, various retailers meet them. Speak to us about this same day delivery. What, from a supply chain standpoint, the story behind the story, what are some things that had to happen in order to make that commitment to your customers? Yeah, before I do that, is it Bopus or Bopus? Because there's an ongoing debate out there. Is that know? right? I don't know. I, Which one do you think it is? I got to tell you, Colin, we hear Bopus a lot more. I, I've, hmm. I've never actually heard it called Bopus before. I'm a Bopus guy. So, you I, know. I think, well, you're the boss. So, what are they hard hitting <laughs> questions? Hard hitting questions. <laughs> Yeah. No, so uh, so Scott, um, our ability to get to same day delivery at all stores really started several years ago, and we worked on buying line pickup and store out of out of all our, all of our stores. Because so most of our inventory is forward deployed into into stores, and we're needs based. So you know our customers are engaging with the stores as those convenient kind of points of of distribution. And 
before we got into how do we ship from store or fulfill from store, we had to focus on buying a pickup store to get service levels, process, inventory accuracy, all those things that are really important to make buying line pickup and store a good customer experience. At the same time, we were marching towards how do we fulfill direct to customer from any one of our DCs. So any one of our DCs in our network can ship directly to a customer using the same pool of inventory that they use for shipping to the store. And once we got to that point, then it became how do we unlock these different modes of delivery out of the stores. And so we have our own team member delivery. We use third parties. Customers can rent a trailer because they're, you know, do-it-yourselfers to get right. home. And we have this really crazy assortment, right? We have gun safes and air compressors and t-shirts and hats, right? So the, the mode has to be, be able to span all those things. And what that's really created is this really interesting place where our next evolution is going to be all about refining the decision logic for where we fulfill from and when. And then inventory planning on used to be kind of linear, right? How much you put in the DC and how much you put in the store. Mm-hmm. And now it's what where do we position inventory and then how's the customer going to engage with that inventory? Right. That's um, based on where the demand comes from, right? Yeah. And yeah. so uh, you know, I, I know John Gold was on, I think, yesterday on yeah. your podcast, and he said uh, he said, you know, in retail in general, we saw trends that we thought were going to take two to three years of customer adoption get compressed into like two or three weeks. Well, we saw that same thing, but we we couldn't have faked it, right? You had to be working on all these things over the years in order to you know catch that acceleration. And if you didn't, and you were at a deficit either on technology or process, it just got really clunky, and I and I think it hurt you. Yeah, I think there's probably plenty of different aspects of global business where you can fake the market and fake out customers, but. Retail strikes me as not one of those. I mean, you are what you can deliver and keep on the shelf or or get from e-commerce standpoint, on time, on price, meeting on that that customer promise. So there's no hiding or getting around that, is there, Greg? There is not. And I come from store ops originally in retail. So we were known as frontline workers before COVID. I mean, you are the face of the company, regardless of how good the GMM, the general merchandise manager, or the chief supply chain officer, or the vice president of store ops or, or whatever, regardless of how, how well they do, those people in the store, they take the bullet. It, especially in an industry where you have 1,900 stores, that's a really, really important customer experience. And the better experience you give to your store ops people, then the better experience your customers are inherently having. Yeah, Because point. they... they at store ops, they hear the good and the bad. And when they hear the good, they are uh, effusive store ops people. And when they hear the bad, they're explosive. It's a very high pressure job, even before COVID. Right. So yeah, it's a, a critical interface and, and retail has been changing over the years, but I also, you know, I got to kind of take a nod back to Colin's earlier career, having seen what Neiman Marcus did in terms of being prepared for e-com in 2013 and 2014. And of course, having worked in a quality organization like Target as well, and having come from the military, preparation strikes me as maybe a core competency for Mr. Yankee. Colin? My my team would agree with you. Let me say it that way. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) I bet they would. Yeah, you know, I had had a professor at at Michigan State used to say, it's really hard to, it's difficult to execute your way out of planning problems. Yep. 
And uh, I took that to heart, right? You got to file that away. And that's been a, a, a motto for uh, how I lead the supply chain. So who was that professor? I'm curious. Yeah, Dr. David Close. Uh, okay. He was uh, the head of the supply chain program there at, at Michigan State. Mm. Okay, great. Mm. Well, who knows? Maybe Dr. Close might be listening to this. So tip of the hat to, to the, the, the great Shout work out you're doing. Close. That's right. And of course, Michigan State, one of the one of the top schools for yeah, many no things, doubt. but including supply chain management. All right. So you mentioned a team earlier, and clearly you view all of this as a, as a big team effort, and we appreciate that. But let's talk about some other wins y'all might have beyond same-day delivery. We were talking pre-show about an interesting acronym, M-I-O-E. So that might be new for many folks here. So let's start there with that. Tell us more about what that is. Yeah, MIOE is Merchandising Inventory Operations Execution. It's a the retail acronym alphabet soup for SNOE, SNOP, right? In your traditional consumer packaged goods or manufacturing type environment. And your retail has has been kind of a lagger in, in in that area. We take a lot of our cues from people in CPG or in manufacturing. Um, you know, we just have you're purchasing finished goods with a lot of different national brands or own brands. Not a lot, whole lot of vertical integration, varying lead times, all these different site skew combinations. So it's taken a lot to get the coordination there. And, and I think my team talk about the planning and preparation. Over the last four or five years, we've really just been focused on how do we synchronize planning and operations. You know, for, forget whatever acronym you, you call it, but the financial plan to what you're going to order to how it's to how it's actually worked in the supply chain physically for your vendor, for your transportation provider, and for the for the guy like me when I'm a supervisor, 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday receiving on the receiving dock, right? Right. right. And I think the the team aspect of that is. We worked really hard on process for the last few years. So how do we get that process down? Don't think technology is a solution for bad process. Refine it to a point. And we were able to really use that during the COVID spike in volume. I mean, we saw three straight quarters of plus 25% comp sales. So that put a lot of strain on the supply chain. And the coordination helped everybody work together and not point fingers as much. It helped us communicate better with our vendor base as they were under a lot of strain and they're dealing with their own transportation or labor kind of availability challenges. And, you know, right now I'm very proud of where the team's at and we're at the point where I think technology can take us to the next level, you know, a single planning system of record. How do we use that information to coordinate operations and run in a kind of real-time scenario modeling about what's going to happen and take a lot of the human knowledge that we've gained over the last five, 10 years and kind of code it in and make it part of the organization as we've scaled. You know, we, the process we had was really good for a five to $10 billion company. But as we move from 10 billion and beyond, you know, we, we have to really kind of cement it into the process. Need a bigger engine, it sounds, maybe uh, moving from a, a V8 to what comes next? A V10? Greg, you're the automotive guy. I just skip 10 and go straight to 12. There you go. So. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let's talk then. I saw on social virtual leaders meeting. And, you know, just generally speaking, I think small teams, big teams, all points in between trying to find ways of of staying connected and and investing culture and uh, also offering learning opportunities and professional development opportunities. And, you know, I hate to say team building, but 
you know, to some degree that's, that, that's what it is. And, and that's, there's some real value there. Some companies have really figured out how to do that. And it seems like from what I observed on, on your, uh, the virtual leaders meeting I recently wrapped up some, a lot of that was kind of y'all's aim there. So tell us more about what that was and, and give us your favorite key takeaway from, from that internal session. Yeah, we, um, so traditionally at the beginning of our, our year, <clears throat> get all the leaders together, you know, talk about the business plan, talk about what's going to happen, do some training and development, best practice sharing across the board. And, you know, this year we're not able to do that. And, uh, you know, Greg hit on it earlier. It, it, this is really geared towards our district managers and our store leaders who are engaging with the customer and where, the, you know, everything hits the store eventually, right? They, they have to execute it. So all the good ideas from you know the people I work with ultimately you know show up and you know somebody has to execute that at the store. I would say you know there's a you know, you've heard COVID fatigue. There's also a little bit like virtual fatigue. You know people are craving that human interaction, and so uh, you know, our stores team did a phenomenal job injecting humor, engagement, figuring out different ways to get people involved and, you know, and pull out their their input in this virtual environment. I think that was really really good. But my, my key takeaway really was around the plan. We've got a very, we've captured a lot of market share this last year and we're expecting to hold on to that and we're calling it stomp the comp, right? So we got to comp it. the comp, we got to go after it. And so what was our plan to do that? And uh, you know, really, we, we know that you know, life's going to intercede, right? Nobody expected this, you know, hundred year storm to come across the country right now. And we could be, if we we're talking two weeks from now, you know, two weeks in the future, it could be spring. Right. And so right. our whole goal was how do we communicate to the frontline team about what our intent is around the major objectives for the year? Because I think that Greg said it really well, we're not there to make the decision for the customer. And so if they understand here's what we're trying to achieve as a company, they can use their intuition, their initiative, their smarts to help solve that customer's problem and support the company objective. So it was all about communicating our intent and letting our team be successful. Love that. All right. So Greg, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit to respond to some of that. And Greg always says it always, he, he always nails it. Uh, Colin, this is nothing new. So Greg, Greg respond to some of what you heard Colin share there. I, yeah. I just, I like, I love the commitment and the recognition that, and frankly, the need of interaction and engagement in the store environment. I mean, I, you know, one of the questions that immediately popped to mind was, it sounds to me like the store still matters at Tractor Supply. And of course, because of the goods that are purchased there and a lot, I think because of the people that shop there, they, they get engaged if they're going to get feed or if they're going to get fencing or if they're going to get coveralls or whatever, they go to get it, right? So uh, the recognition, one, that the store is still part of that engagement and, and also to kind of embrace that and get people interested in engaging with the people in the stores. And I got to tell you, on social, Colin, you know I'm a big advocate for this. I feel like part of your social engagement could be to bring back those little figurines <laughs> and give, give them identities on social, right? That, that, if, you're, if you're new to Tractor Supply, you may have never seen that campaign, but that was one of the most fun and brilliant and engaging, frankly, uh, marketing campaigns where the little figurines are standing by their little figurine truck and talking about feed and seed and whatever. So yeah, no, noted. I'll take it back. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. No charge to the marketing folks. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be like, 
Brilliant marketing idea, supply chain guys. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. We've got some supply chain ideas for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that sort of creativity is really necessary. I feel like, as Colin said, so many companies have been stymied by this change, by this dramatic seismic societal disruption, and to embrace it and to and to engage it so actively and to try and overcome it knowing who your consumer is, is really critical because I have to say this, Scott, I am contractually required by me to say this in, in every discussion around supply chain, the supply chain begins and ends with the consumer. Yeah. Right. And I, I think the recognition that Colin and his team and the general team, it sounds like at tractor supply has is they're not done when it goes out the door at the store, they're done when the customer has had a, a really sound and and pleasing experience. And I, I think that speaks volumes and probably is a good part of the reason for their success. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So much, uh, so much more we could, we could dive into deeper here. It, it's really a fascinating, I think your perspective, the journey that TSC tractor supply company has been on and juxtaposed against this environment that, that Greg just continues to coin, what you call it? The seismic? Seismic societal disruption. I actually stole that from Brad Jacobs at right. SPO, but so I, I can't go over three syllables, Colin. That's my rule here. Well, three uh, S's is no no easy task either, right? Oh, y'all should have seen. I tried actually, to. It's only two, isn't it? Seismic. <laughs> no, two, it's three. All right. So as we move into the final stretch here, Greg, I know we wanted to pick Colin's brain on a couple yeah. of things, kind of beyond tractor supply, right? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you. I mean, you and your company have your finger on the pulse of much broader things than just supply chain or even just tractor supply. But I'm fascinated to hear what really has mind share for you net right now. What has really gets you jazzed up or concerned or excited or where do you see opportunity at these times? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, the, there's the things that are right in your face, right? Like the import disruption or the kind of secular things within the domestic freight market around driver shortages, right? Labor availability, running great facilities in the COVID environment. Um, you know, all those things are like right up in in I think every oper operator's face. At the same time, you kind of take it up a notch, and there's this critique of resilience versus efficiency, right? You know where supply chain is too lean right. and you know, it leads to a nearshoring conversation and everything else from a supply chain perspective, but also how do you build supply chain resilience? And I'm a believer that you can get both. You can have a, have a lean and efficient supply chain and a resilient supply chain. And um, you know, for, for my team, uh, the, the top of mind thing is, is really our digital roadmap. And how do we use all the, the wonderful technology that's just been developing and emerging and becoming lower cost of ownership over the last couple of years and all the data that's being produced. I mean, we generate so much data, customer transaction data, credit card data, loyalty program data, weather data. I mean, you have all that stuff plus history. And we're finally at a point now, I think, in supply chain where we have the systems and the information to digest all that all that and put together and apply to the supply chain for decision-making. And, um, you know, I think there's visibility, right. Which I think hasn't really achieved its promise yet, but there's a lot of work right. to do. And then there's predictive analytics off that visibility. And then there's AI and ML, you know, uh, 
artificial intelligence and machine learning that is real, that just needs those good inputs, right? And I think we're on the, on like just the first step as a company and just as an industry of seeing that really drive a lot of change over the next, next decade. I think in 10 years from now, we're just gonna be blown away by, by what we see out of that particular space and digitizing the supply chain. Undoubtedly, I, I think definitely in 10 years, possibly even sooner. I mean, with what, you know, with what we see so often, Colin, you know, not only on supply chain now, but I deal with companies that are, I, I specifically work with investors who are investing in supply chain tech companies today. And where companies are going with this wealth of data that you just talked about is incredible. I mean, it is, it is truly disruptive. It is a new perspective on how to manage, how to evaluate, how to operate supply chains. Yeah, so it, it's very exciting. It is exciting time to be in retail, exciting time to be in supply chain, certainly exciting time to be in global business, despite the challenges, you know, as our dear friend, Kevin Bell says, you can find opportunity without being opportunistic. And that's what some of the, the leaders that we've been speaking to are finding exactly. All right. One final thing we'll touch on before we make sure folks know to connect with you and Tractor Supply Company. I really admire all of what you do and your company does to support our veterans community. You know, it, it would be remiss if we didn't, you know, David Medlin, rest in peace, connected the two of us uh, several years back, heck of a guy, lost him way, too, way too early, fellow veteran, but really admire what y'all do from a, a real taking action standpoint, no lip service to serve those that have served in a uniform. So what's your favorite out of all the things that you do when it comes to, to serving the veteran community, what, what's your favorite aspect of that column? Yeah, you know, Scott, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. We um, we do a lot to give back to the veterans, but just personally, my favorite is when we can help a veteran or a military family member get a job and build their build their next career. Right? We're citizen soldiers, and so I can talk about what we donate or you know the volunteer service, all those kind of things. But when we can give somebody a great career after they transition out of the military in a place that they feel valued and they have that same sense of belonging that they had in the military, they feel part of the culture. That to me is, you know, kind of our, our ultimate objective, right? How do we, how do we make it happen? It's a win for us as a business because we get some great talent. It's a win for that individual. And it's a win for, for I think our, our country, right? Because you know, it helps people see the military as a developmental experience and then transition that into corporate America. And so I, I benefited because a veteran helped, helped me make that tra transition. Dave Medlin, who uh, you mentioned, who was a good friend of mine and uh, worked on this team. Um, he had that same successful transition. And I think businesses that can do that well, there's the altruistic side of it. And then there's the opportunistic or you know beneficial side of it. And I think that's right. just the, the thing that I'd be proud of. Oh, I appreciate you sharing. We love love all of that. And we look forward to reconnecting with you as, as we continue to figure out how we can effectively support the veteran community on top of, you know, what, what's been doing. And that, that's constantly evolving too, right? You're finding different ways uh, based on, on some longstanding needs and challenges, especially related to transition. And then of course, how some of those have had nuanced tweaks related to the pandemic and other things, but I admire what you do. And uh, we look forward to, to touching base on with you on some of that uh, support down the road a bit. Let's make sure folks know how to connect. I mean, two, almost 2000 stores continue to grow left and right, touching on what you shared earlier in the interview. You want to work in teams that get it, that are on the move, that are exciting. And there's a buzz, there's a hum. 
you know, who, who knows? There might be someone listening to this that's going to check you out and, and send in their resume. How can folks, you know, compare notes with you and, and connect with Tractor Supply? Yeah, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. And so you can find me there, Colin Yankee. For Tractor Supply, you go to tractorsupply.com and, you know, cruise through the, the site there, learn a lot about the company and, and career opportunities. Your social media platform of choice would be at Tractor Supply. So whether that's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, it's all, all the same handle. You can find them there. Love that. Really yep. appreciate that. We've been talking with Colin Yankee, the Executive Vice President, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Tractor Supply Company. Greg, I feel like we could, you know, I always say this maybe, maybe a broken record, but it feels like we, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more that Colin can share. We could just, just make it a six-hour interview. How about, does that sound good on your end? <laughs> as long as we do it an hour at a time. <laughs> Probably t- it, it, with Colin's calendar, it'd probably take us about six months. That's uh, right. <laughs> you ready to go, Colin? I'll bring some snacks. <laughs> and some of those trained figures. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you know what I think is so interesting is we continue to see people who have, as I say, backed into supply chain, right? There are so few of us who grew up saying, I can't wait to get into supply chain instead of being a rock star, race car driver or whatever, astronaut or whatever, you know, you grew up wanting to be. And I think, you know, one of the things, Colin, you said earlier that is so powerful is, is essentially that supply chain is so diverse just because, you know, retail supply chain doesn't mean you necessarily know manufacturing supply chain or distribution supply chain. And you certainly, it's certainly different than, as you said, healthcare supply chain. So supply chain in and of itself is so complex and so diverse, and it depends on the industry and the segment and the tier of supply chain that you operate in, I think that's really, really important for us to recognize. Because one of the things we have continued to see, and Scott, you and I see this periodically, is that projection that if it works for Procter & Gamble or pick, pick a manufacturer, it'll work for you. As Colin said earlier, we can certainly learn from manufacturers, but we have to adapt it. And particularly, in retail, where you have hands on the consumer, as we talked about also, you have to recognize that it is a distinctly different supply chain dynamic than the manufacturer who doesn't or hasn't in the past and doesn't as frequently touch the consumer. They will more often now with direct consumer, but still it's yet a different experience. And I think that's a really important recognition for people to have. And as soon as we have more practitioners who recognize that, the difference between manufacturing supply chain and brand supply chain versus retail supply chain, the more effective we'll be. And finally, Colin's charge to be curious, be a, I forget the actual word that you used. Did you say constant learner was what I took away from it, but I think his word was much, much bigger and more intellectual <laughs> than the one I'm taking. <laughs> but that's a critical part of any career and certainly in supply chain for all the reasons we just talked about. That's uh, right. It's a critical part of your success. Is it? Hey, if you want to stomp the comp, that's what you got to do, right, yeah, Greg? Yeah, there you go. But I love this interview, <laughs> Colin. I really appreciate yeah. your down-to-earth approach. We love that here. It's such a breath of fresh air where you get the real story and not just uh, the, the the good stuff. That you know, you, you get you, you're you're open and honest and transparent, and I uh, love that. So big thanks to you, Greg. Pleasure to knock out this interview with you here today to our community and our audience. Hopefully, you enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. We're chomping at the bit to go deeper, but hey, we'll have Colin back soon. Hey, be sure if you like this conversation, check us out at supplychainnow.com. 
Scott, on behalf of Scott Luton and, or on behalf of Greg White and our supply chain now and team. And Scott Luton. This is Scott Luton. That's right. Signing off for now. Challenging you. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.